Hello everybody, welcome to History X. Looks like we have a, a news report breaking in here. And um, let's just turn it over to the CBC. For Trudeau, there was polite applause and attention until near the end when he suddenly electrified the crowd with this salute. The roars of Viva from the crowd caused controversy at home, but there were more serious questions to be asked about Trudeau's policy towards Cuba. The entire Canadian trade policy has been very offensive uh, to the American government. Uh, I think it's a clear indication of independence, uh, and I think it's been uh, a clear plus, uh, if you will, in Canadian foreign policy. Well, as I guess, well, as I suspect you guessed, that's not the current Prime Minister Trudeau, but rather his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. But you can't really understand the current relationship between Cuba and Canada without understanding the past, how it, how it got there. There's a special friendship, una amistad especial. And we are probing that special friendship in a three-part series on History X on the mighty, mighty CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichiwa Skygun. That's right. History X, the show about what they didn't teach you in school. Last episode, we brought you a very quick history of Cuba and colonialism been colonized many times by many different powers and this week we're going to really dig into the special friendship i am happy that i had two students that were able to write and produce this episode linda and ying tong part of a group of students from latin american studies 210 introduction to latin american studies Glad they were able to do this. And really, the, the gem of the show was a big get by Linda and Ying Tong. They talked to a guy who's really at the center and has been at the center of this special friendship, this amistad especial from the very beginning. And his name is John Kirk. Uh, as you'll hear, Kirk was there for much of these pivotal moments in uh, the Cuba-Canada relationship. So um, yeah, I'm just going to turn it over to them. And I hope you enjoy this documentary on CJSR 88.5 FM. I'll talk to you in a few minutes after we hear this interesting interview. Hello, my name is Linda Liu. 
I'm currently a fourth-year undergraduate student studying at the University of Alberta. Hello, my name is Ying Tong Liu, and I am a second-year undergraduate student at the University of Alberta. Today, we're going to present the history behind the years following the Cuban Revolution and how Cuba grew dependent on the Soviets for military and economic aid. We also talked about the relationship that Canada and Cuba had during the Pierre Trudeau years, the years after Pierre Trudeau, as well as how the two countries benefit one another. We didn't really know much about the relationship between Cuba and Canada. It's not something that is really discussed in school. We learned about the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Bay of the Pigs, but all that is usually presented through an American lens and leaves a lot of important information out. So I was really excited to talk with an expert on the historical relationship between Canada and Cuba, and explore how the past really set the stage for where we're at now. And I have to say, there are a bunch of unexpected twists and turns in this story. We're going to start a few years after the Cuban Revolution. After seizing power in the Caribbean island nation of Cuba in 1959, leftist revolutionary leader Fidel Castro aligned himself with the Soviet Union. Under Castro, Cuba grew dependent on the Soviets for military and economic aid. With the Cold War at its height, the world was at the brink of a nuclear war. The 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis began and marked the climax of an actually Antagonistic period with U.S.-Soviet relations. Here's a clip of John F. Kennedy talking about the Cuban blockade. Acting therefore in the defense of our own security and of the entire Western Hemisphere, and under the authority entrusted to me by the Constitution, as endorsed by the resolution of the Congress, I have directed that the following initial steps be taken immediately to halt this offensive buildup. A strict quarantine on all offensive military equipment under shipment to Cuba is being initiated. All ships of any kind bound for Cuba, from whatever nation or port, where they're found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons, be turned back. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. Requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union, I call upon Chairman Khrushchev to halt and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace and to stable relations between our two nations. I call upon him further to abandon this course of world domination and to join in an historic effort to end the perilous arms race and to transform the history of man. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere, and we hope around the world. God willing, that goal will be achieved. How did Canada react to this chaotic yet dangerous situation? The Prime Minister at that time, John Diefenbaker from the Progressive Conservative Party, was indecisive. He was unsure about the Soviets' intentions in Cuba and told U.S. President John F. Kennedy to send UN inspectors to Cuba to see what was going on. 
Stephen Baker also hesitated to move Canadian forces to a higher alert level requested by the U.S., though it was agreed later. Overall, Diefenbaker tried to have an independent policy, but was criticized for his hesitant response and caused him to lose the 1963 election. Despite this loss, Diefenbaker remained a passionate nationalist. Here is the clip of John Diefenbaker's 1967 hit record, "I Am a Canadian," where he illustrated that he was a freedom-loving Canadian. My creed as a Canadian. Is summed up in these words: I am a Canadian, a free Canadian, free to speak without fear, free to worship God in my own way, free to stand for what I think right, free to oppose what I believe wrong, free to choose those who shall govern my country. This heritage of freedom. I pledge to uphold for myself and all mankind, for I am a Canadian. After the 1963 election, Prime Minister Pearson of the Liberal Party and his successor Pierre Trudeau continued John Diefenbaker's independent diplomatic policies away from U.S. influences. But what did this look like? We talked with Dr. John Kirk, a professor from Dalhousie University, to learn more. Dr. Kirk teaches Spanish and Latin American studies, with an emphasis on Cuba and international relations. In addition to having worked as an interpreter for former Premier John Savage in meetings with President Fidel Castro, as well as with Aleda Guevara, daughter of Che, Kirk has frequently traveled to and from the country. I first went to Cuba as a graduate student、uh, at UBC, so 1976.、Um, what struck me right away was just how Spanish Cuba was. I, I thought it would be uh, more um, uh, a, a, more of a, of a socialist society, that, but, but I was struck by how Spanish it was. I studied at university in in in、uh, in Spain, and the similarities、uh, struck me very, 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 very clearly. We were also curious about the living conditions and the availability of resources there were in Cuba during the time that John Kirk was there. We initially thought that people must have been starving in communist countries due to media portrayals and political propaganda, but John Kirk told us it was not the case. Okay, back in 1976,、um, Cuba was subsidized very heavily by the Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, at the time,、uh, it was mainly it was very much a, a classless society.、Uh, the differences in social classes were very、uh, difficult to perceive.、Um, the economy was subsidized by the Soviet Union,、uh, which basically bought most of Cuba's sugar.、Um, Cuba was a member of Comecon,、uh, the socialist common market,、uh, and as a result, received subsidized. Um, supplies and everything from food to ships、uh, from the socialist countries of of Eastern Europe.、Um, so living conditions were were very good.、Um, the Soviet subsidies were were very very generous,、um, and social differences were、um, almost invisible、uh, at the time. There was a, a very level playing field. 
And how was the Cuban-Canadian relationship back then? For context, here is Dr. John Kirk again. The, the high point in Canada-Cuba relations uh, were the Trudeau years between 1968 and 1984. Um, Pierre Trudeau was an extremely courageous visionary. Um, he, he was the first leader of a NATO country to go to Cuba. And this was in the midst of the Cold War, um, when uh, to be uh, to, 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 to visit a, a communist country uh, was, was seen as being very, very risky. And if you look at the media coverage at the time, uh, Pierre Trudeau was hammered in, in the media, was criticized very, very, very much. Um, I, I wrote a book on Canada-Cuba relations called The Other Good Neighbor Policy. Uh, and for it, I was very fortunate to be able to, to get into the archives uh, of what used to be called the Department of External Affairs, now it's Global Affairs Canada, uh, and also to the Cuban e uh, equivalent um, in, in MINREX, the Ministry of Foreign Relations, and saw personal letters and notes from Trudeau to Castro, Fidel Castro and from Fidel to, to Trudeau. This CTV archive from 1976 shows the warm welcome Pierre Trudeau received when he visited the island. Sixteen years ago, Pierre Trudeau tried to paddle a canoe from Miami to Havana, but he was turned back by American authorities. This time he made it and was royally welcomed. Hours before his arrival, Cubans by the tens of thousands lined the streets. Such enthusiasm was sustained for the three-day visit and was clearly orchestrated by Premier Castro himself. It was his way of expressing gratitude to Canada for continued trade throughout the blockade. With relations between Cuba and the United States going sour again because of Angola, Premier Castro was eager to strengthen the Canadian-Cuban connection. At a rally in the south coastal city of Cienfuegos, not even a five-hour wait under a blazing sun could diminish the enthusiasm of 25,000 sugarcane workers who chanted, Long live friendship between Cuba and Canada. Hello, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this documentary about a very special friendship, una amistad especial, between Cuba and Canada. I just wanted to break in to tell you just a little bit. I mean, Angola? What's Angola doing in a show about Canada and Cuba? Well, actually, Cuba had sent troops to Angola as part of a civil war and South Africa got involved and somehow Cuba started fighting apartheid era South Africa in Angola. Yeah, it's another one of those stories you probably didn't learn about in school. We don't really have time for it, but I just wanted to clear that up and remind you that you are listening to History X on the Mighty Mighty CGSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, Amiskwachiwa Skygon. Now, let's get back to the show. This was at a time when, when trade uh, uh, increased dramatically between Canada and Cuba under Trudeau. Um, development assistance began for the first time. Um, Fidel Castro uh, became a very good friend of, 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 of Trudeau when Trudeau left politics, and, and Pierre Trudeau went several times to Cuba on vacation uh, to visit uh, Fidel Castro. And of course, um, when Trudeau uh, died, 
uh, Fidel Castro was an honorary pallbearer uh, at his funeral, uh, along with uh, Jimmy Carter and Leonard Cohen, quite a trio. Um, so so the, the profound relationship between Trudeau uh, and Fidel Castro was, was very noticeable. Both were lawyers, both had been educated by the Jesuit uh, priests, um, both had a very broad view of, of uh, the global south and the need for to, to support developing countries, um, and both got on re remarkably well. Uh, both were shy, introverted people, um, and the, the materials that I saw showed just how close was their friendship. During the Trudeau years from 1968 to 84, how did a more forward policy of foreign and defense policies towards Latin America affect the relationship between Cuba and Canada? Um, I think that Pierre Trudeau was very keen to develop a, uh, a new foreign policy with Latin America. Uh, there was a, a very thorough review of Canadian foreign policy under Trudeau. There hasn't been one since. Um, and he became particularly interested in all of Latin America. He spoke uh, fluent Spanish. Um, and I think that during the time, uh, the relationship between Canada and Cuba on the one hand and Canada and Latin America on the other um, became strengthened. Uh, so for, for Canada, um, this was part of what's called a third option. Uh, Trudeau wanted to develop a foreign policy that would be distant uh, from the former, uh, uh, from the British um, policy uh, and also from the US policy. He wanted a, a different policy, a third option, and Latin America uh, became very important uh, in that. And Cuba was seen as being a, a key player uh, in that at the time. Um, one thing I forgot to mention before is during the Trudeau years, uh, the FLQ crisis in, um, in, in Quebec, uh, the independence group which used terrorism as a means of, of trying to bring about independence of the province of Quebec, um, the, the labor minister, Pierre Laporte, uh, was kidnapped and, and executed. And the British Trade Commissioner, a guy called James Cross uh, was also um, uh, kidnapped. Uh, in the end, uh, Canada tried to figure out a deal with the FLQ um, to have Cross released in, re in return for the FLQ terrorists being allowed to leave, leave uh, Canada. Uh, he, Canada approached several countries which refused to, to deal with them. Uh, and then Cuba came to support Canada. So, so, so Pierre Trudeau uh, held a debt of gratitude uh, to Cuba because it helped him out of a very, very difficult moment. And at the time, um, uh, the, the, the danger of terrorism in Quebec was, was quite strong. So, so Trudeau's foreign policy both to, uh, towards Cuba was very important and towards Latin America as a significant, crucial element of his third option, uh, also very significant. We also read the book on Canadian-Cuban relationships, Our Place in the Sun, and one chapter that Dr. John Kirk mentioned that two countries, Canada and Cuba, needed each other. We then asked Dr. John Kirk to elaborate on how both countries benefit and need each other. In naked political terms, uh, Canada needs to show independence from the United States. Um, whenever elections come around, uh, Canadian governments try to show that they, they are not uh, controlled, dominated by the United States. 
as you know, the United States, 75% of our exports go to the United States and we are economically dependent upon the United States. So it, it is uh, in Canada's, it, whoever is, is the government in Canada, it is in their best interests uh, to show independence um, in terms of, of, of foreign policy, uh, the, the way that it, the government show that we are not dependent upon the United States. Um, secondly, um, uh, Cuba needs us in the sense that uh, tourism is one of the two major industries in, in Cuba, and we represent the single largest supplier of tourists, about 33-34% of tourists in normal uh, non-COVID times, um, uh, 1.3 million uh, are, are Canadians. So Cuba, uh, we are the uh, probably the, the fourth or fifth trading partner of Cuba. We are important politically too, because uh, Cuba is also able strategically to show the world that while the United States and Cuba have problems, the United States, as you know, broke off diplomatic relations with Cuba in January, 1961, and until Obama had re re maintained a policy of, of great aggression. And of course, uh, when Trump came into power, that, that policy of aggression returned. But during the, these years, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Canada was able to show that it was independent. Um, and it, Cuba was also able to show that even though it had problems with the United States, it could still deal uh, uh, fairly and with respectfully with the United States' major uh, ally and trading partner, Canada. So in geostrategic terms, it was a benefit to both. Um, in commercial terms, it was a benefit to Cuba because of tourism. We now know that Pierre Trudeau made a significant impact on Canadian-Cuban relationships. What happened after the Pierre Trudeau years? John Kirk explained. The high point of Canada-Cuban relations uh, were the years when Pierre Trudeau formed the government. Uh, the low point were the years when Stephen Harper uh, was Prime Minister of Canada. And Stephen Harper ideologically uh, was totally opposed to the Cuban uh, revolution. Uh, and uh, supported U.S. policy very much uh, and was extremely critical of, of, of Cuba. Um, and so as a result, uh, uh, did little to strengthen the relationship uh, in commercial terms or uh, in political terms. So that was the low point during the years uh, of the Harper um, uh, governments. The good old days of Cuban society that relied on Soviet support ended in the early 1990s when the Soviet Union dissolved and all communist regimes fell in Eastern Europe. Cuba lost all its economic support and was left in an economic hardship and at the same time the US strengthened its embargo. The special period began. This period was marked by food insecurity, oil shortages, and a crisis of politics, ideology, values, expectations, and faith that the state could continue forward on a path of progress and development. The U.S. strengthened the already strangling embargo, preventing food and medicine from being shipped to Cuba. The need for assistance and solidarity movement was imminent, and there was a massive worldwide call for supporting Cuba. Canada participated in that international response in the 1990s and many actions were undertaken in solidarity with Cuba. One advantage that Canadians had over Americans 
is that Canada and Cuba maintained uninterrupted diplomatic relations following the Cuban Revolution, which did not interfere with travel or shipment of goods to Cuba. Some examples include Canadian tourism in Cuba or Canadian exports like dairy products. Among other solidarity activities, Canada offered an opportunity to witness the real situation in Cuba to all Canadians who were curious enough, wanted to be part of the movement, and were willing to establish a direct connection in solidarity with Cubans. This opportunity was provided by the Che Guevara Volunteer Brigade, VWB, which started in the 1960s. The Che Guevara Volunteer Work Brigade fulfills two main goals. On the one hand, it is a great way to show support for the struggle of the Cuban people to maintain their independence. On the other hand, it is an important opportunity for people from Canada to know and understand the, the dynamism of all aspects of life in Cuba. The participants, brigadistas, consist of students, workers, professionals, and immigrants to Canada with varying ideologies. The Cuban side is also welcoming and knows Canada very well. The participants work in the morning, have lunch and take a break. In the afternoon, there are meetings with various local organizations and professionals. In the evening, there is usually free time or cultural activity. On weekends, there are more visits or tours to other cities. The Che Guevara Volunteer Work Brigade participants have done many valuable works in Cuba over the years, including cutting sugarcane, painting elderly homes, tending trees, weeding, planting, repairing roofs, or help local construction workers building schools or houses. The goal of the VWB is learning, sharing, and camaraderie between Canadians and Cubans. Thank you for listening. This is the end of episode two of Canadian-Cuban relationships from the Cuban Missile Crisis to the beginning of the special period made by Linda Liu and Yin Tong Liu. In the next episode, our partners will go through the special period and Cuban-Canadian relationships in the 1990s and thereafter. We also greatly appreciate Dr. John Kirk for his valuable contribution and exclusive viewpoint. Music was Cuban Heat by John Bartman, The Devil's Dance by Cuban Cowboys, El Danzón de Noventa Mías by Cuban Cowboys, and Nobody Told Me by Cuban Cowboys. Hey everybody, this is Russell Cobb, the host of History X, the show about what they didn't teach you on school on the Mighty Mighty CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory, Amiskwichiwa Skygon, Edmonton. And um, I hope you've enjoyed this second episode of a very special friendship, una amistad especial, between uh, Canada and Cuba. Special thanks to my students, Ying Tong and Linda, for going out there and producing that episode and talking to Dr. John Kirk, really really one of the most amazing people uh, that you can, um, uh, really a font of wisdom when it comes to all things Cuba and Canada. Uh, you can catch us every other Thursday on CGSR, or you can find us on your favorite podcast providers. Love to hear from you. 
And until next time, uh, I will say goodbye. And on the on the last episode, the last episode of this mini series, you're gonna hear something really interesting. You're gonna see what life is like for a new generation of Cubans who've come to Canada. Now, just to give you a little preview of this, there's this understanding that most Cuban immigrants are political uh, exiles or economic immigrants. And most of them have a distinct political ideology. Well, that's tr that's has been true in the past, but it's not always the truth now. Cubans are a very diverse set when you look at the immigration patterns. And I have a couple other students who were lucky enough to talk to one of the more fascinating Cuban folks uh, you will find living in our dear province, Alberta. That's next time on History X. So please check us back, check back with us in uh, two Thursdays and we'll bring you that episode. And until next time, be well and uh, read your history. Bye-bye. I start to feel